Welcome to the Nebraska Soybean Board Weekly Market Roundup being brought to you by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and the Checkoff. I'm Susan Littlefield. We're going to talk about how the weather is really putting a strain on the markets as folks talk 1988 and 1996 when it comes to drought comparisons. We're also going to talk about something interesting with Indonesia and cooking oil. Jeff Peterson's going to give us all the lowdown on that. We're going to take a look at what's happening livestock-wise as well. We'll get an insight as to happenings of the dairy industry as well with Sean Hackett. We've got a lot coming up on today's report. It may be small, but this little bean fuels a lot of power. It powers a food industry as a top source of protein. It's a fuel that powers diesel engines with fewer emissions. It powers a state economy and bottom lines. And it powers the rest of the world as a top Nebraska export. Yeah, it may be small, but we're finding more ways for this little bean to power Nebraska. Well, welcome back. You heard me just mention the gentleman. We've got Jeff Peterson. He is with Heartland Farm Partners and Sean Hackett with Hackett Financial Advisors. And and gentlemen, it's been crazy this year. Uh, growing season is not off to a good start. And I think it. we're used to these little pockets where we have dryness. But man, these pockets are very widespread on the West Coast. And then flip the page to the East Coast. It's too wet and guys are wishing the rain away. I just wish they would send it our way. So start out with, uh, Jeff, give me your thoughts on what you're hearing when it comes to this weather. Yeah, it is really interesting. Um, we've got a few guys going to South Central Nebraska, and you've got some guys that are planting soybeans first, and then they're going to have to water them up and activate the chemical. We go a little bit further out there, get out to South Central, out in the Holdridge area. We're hearing some individuals that are doing some planting, and they're actually having to pre-water to go ahead and get conditions suitable. We aren't seeing much activity north of I-80 up in the northeast Nebraska yet little bit getting started in pockets, but not too much. But then we move on up into the Dakotas and get up into North Dakota and, and our customers up there, you know, they're talking about how they're still waiting to get the, the snow melted off and to physically have a chance to get started on planning. So we've just got a wide range out there, Susan. Well, Sean, you and I talked earlier this week as well, and you've had some interesting conversations with producers throughout the upper Midwest on this weather system. Remember, we've been warning about a chaotic planting season for over a year now based upon our natural climate cycle algorithm. We were expecting a late ending winter, lots of cold weather, northern plains, blizzard kind of conditions, and we think it's going to stay very, very cold. We're actually feeling the cold weather is going to do more to keep the, uh, the, the spring wheat crop and the corn wheat crop from planting rolling than anything else. We think that's going to continue to be a problem and it's going to continue to worry the market at a time that it really, really wanted a perfect planting season. So we're seeing all of those things taking place. And right now, this weather pattern looks like it's entrenched for at least the next two, three, even four weeks before it might actually leave it, let it lead into a final warming up phase, um, Susan. So that really, to us, says this is going to be a market wanting to put further weather premium as we go further in to May. I mean, I, we've talked weather markets to both of you guys over the last years. And it's crazy that this year is such a strong focus. So to both of you, we compare 88, 96, 2012. Are we kind of setting up that same type of marketing pattern? Or is there going to be some other influences that are going to push this weather, Sean? Well, I think if you're talking about a broad drought, which those market, those you know, seasons were, we're not expecting a broad drought. Yeah, we could have a, a, a this western portion stay dry that would be historical for that region. We do not see a widespread drought situation like 2012, 1988. We feel 
that our weather cycles where we are in that process actually is suggesting that the drought area is going to shrink and we're actually going to have a very, very good finish to the crop with plenty of moisture and cooler weather. So we're actually thinking this is going to be a better growing season, but the first half of it is planting into the early summer is going to be your biggest weather problems that the market's going to have to overcome. Well, having said that, Jeff, so many folks are focusing on those marketing years. How do we keep the emotion out and still trying to keep the eye on what's coming at us weather? Well, and I think a lot of that, I think Sean, you know, he said some great points there. And, and for us, we kind of see it the same way in here is that it ultimately the corn market needs as many acres it could, could physically get. And, and right now we're hoping to go ahead and see a fast start. And it looked like if we were to go back, you know, probably about a month ago, we were thinking maybe we will get off to a decent start. But uh, unfortunately, when those planning intention numbers came out, everybody was kind of talking that we thought we'd see that as the, you know, maybe the lowest corn acreage number. And, and now maybe it flips the other way and actually becomes the highest one because now we're hearing a little bit about some prevent plant and may or higher amounts of prevent plant up in the North Dakota in that area. But as far as to keep the motion out, we just really got to kind of focus back on on the fundamentals and and ultimately keeping an eye on the charts. But we, the big difference we have this year, Susan, we have so many factors. We've got basically the amount of acres that we need to get planted. We've got also problems out there that are popping up on that safrina crop uh, where we're probably going to get see a little bit drier than we'd like to see conditions happening there. And then you've got the whole situation out there on Ukraine, Susan. So you got a lot of different factors to keep an eye on. All right. You brought up fundamentals. I'm going to ask you about corn, Jeff. The current prices that we're seeing, the fundamentals, does it support what we're seeing on the new crop? Well, what's interesting is so we've been digging into that and and then really to take this whole step farther and look at this new crop side, you know, we have to think about who are going to be the major exporters out there. And, and we went back and looked in time and we always like to use the stocks to use ratios where we take that ending stock number divided by the total demand. And normally we're always doing that for the U.S. or world numbers. But what we did is we went in and said, let's look at the major exporters. Let's take a look at Argentina and take a look at Brazil and Ukraine, South Africa, Russia, and the United States. And when we bring all those together, what's really interesting about that, and why did we we look at that and why are we focused on that? Because those are the countries that are physically going to have to be able to export bushels to the areas that are needed. And when we put a stocks to use on that, that's about 7.8% stocks to use. Now, the importance is to compare it, how has it been in the past? Well, this past year for the 2020 crop year was about 6.6%. If we went back and looked at when we had the really dry conditions and got back into 2011 crop year and it spilled over into 12, we're at about 6.7%. And then if we go all the way back to the problems we had in the mid nineties at 1995, 96 crop year, it would have been setting at 5.7%. So you can see that there's definitely some tightness there. But as we take a look at that 7.8% number, we believe for the 20, 2021 crop, that number and that percentage is gonna back off and stocks will get tighter. The reason we believe that is that physically the Ukraine crop, we know that there's bushels within the country. Some people are estimating as of right now, there's probably over 500 million bushels of old stock, old crop stocks in there on the corn side that physically um, haven't got shipped out yet. And they are making some progress on shipping, but it's going very slow. They're actually having to switch over to the rail side and, and that's just giving them a fraction of what they were able to get when they were sending the rails down to the Black Sea to send it out by ship. The other thing we think is that with the drier conditions and the, and the dry season coming in quicker with that uh, Brazilian crop on that safrina crop, 
probably means that there's going to be a few less bushels or the prices may be a little bit higher as Brazil gets that crop in. That might impact and give us some more exports on this on this old crop. And then as it spills over into the two, 2022 crop year, Susan. So that's that's kind of what we're seeing right now. All right, Sean, I'm curious, as we look at the, the soybean side, there's about a $2 difference right now between the nearby and the new crop beans. Can the bean market try to entice some more acres, even though there's that big of a price gap? I'm not sure it needs to entice more acres right now, as we just discussed with the delayed planting, with the you know the lack of the need of fertilizer in this current situation, with all the soybean acres are going to get planted and they can endure a late planting season and still produce a good crop. And if we're correct about a good finish, we could be looking at record yields and, and definitely rebuilding some of those stocks, at least here in the U.S., um, so I'm not sure that the bean market needs to do that. I actually think it's the corn market that has to try to get some of those farmers to plant in June that, that may not want to. Um, so, so right now, you know, I think the onus is on corn and to some extent wheat. And how does that, how does that feed ration work out? Because right now, everyone in the world is going to be looking at, if we're short corn, what do I do? Do I feed you know, wheat? Do I feed rice? Do I feed other alternatives to get by? I mean, that's how the demand destruction and substitution factor works. And that's so so we worry a little bit about the ending stocks being too low based upon what the demand will actually be by the time we get around to the fall and we see how the feed demand side of the equation actually works out. But for right now, I think soybeans don't need to do any more. I think they've done plenty. All right. As we continue at the Nebraska Soybean Board Weekly Market Roundup, Sean, I want to ask you quick your thoughts on the dairy industry. Dairy right now is really being impacted by the shutdown in China. You know, they've shut down about four to 500 million people who are mostly the ones that are eating and consuming the dairy. Prices in China are rolling over. GDT prices this week showed a big knockdown. And without China buying the international market at a time that we're in our what's called the spring flush, we maximize our seasonal milk production domestically. We feel it'd be very, very difficult for the market to hold up here and not have a pretty significant setback, let's say into June. But at some point, China will reopen, just like everybody else did before, and then there'll be a surge of demand for, for dairy. And so we see a, a substantial possible rebound later on in the summer and the fall. So I think right now, if I'm a dairy producer, protect the near-term price, keep yourself open to, to some better prices later. All right, and finally, Jeff, I wanted to ask you about Indonesia and cooking oil, and what's that's gonna mean for our markets? Yeah, that, that's interesting. And then that kind of dovetails right in with what Sean was talking about, you know, and the soybeans and what the demand looks like. Um, this morning, Indonesia, you know, they what they've and, and they've been all over on their policy on this. So we're not sure how long this is going to stick around. But they're talking about starting on April 28th that they would um, not let exports of their cooking oil, which is made up of mainly palm oil. But they've also been a little vague on it. They've also talked about the raw stock or the which would infer the palm oil itself. And, and the reason that's a big deal is that right now we've got a, a tightness out there overall on, on the world veg oils. And, and in particular with Indonesia, they make up about 58% of the palm oil production. And along with Malaysia, who makes up about 26%, between them, that's about 84% of the world palm oil production. And in addition to that, they make up about 89% of the palm oil exports. So as we dig into it, um, Indonesian palm oil accounts for about 36% of all the major veg oil exports, Susan. 
All right. Well, thank you to both of you for joining us this week. And we just want to remind folks real quick that commodity futures and options involve a substantial risk of loss, not suitable to all investors. And that is the Nebraska Soybean Board Weekly Market Roundup.